they are. We're supposed to accept everything that they do. Um, and so in this age of tolerance and acceptance, how popular do you think the topic of hell is? We don't even like the topic of sin, let alone the topic of hell. Um, the topic of eternal punishment. We believe that people are naturally good, that they're born naturally good, that they have good within them, and that it's either people or society has corrupted them and caused them to become bad. Either the parents are bad or they've had bad company, but something has warped their mind. They believe that people are basically good. Now... Um, I'm not saying that they aren't. I'm not saying that that isn't true. But I want to take a quick poll just to kind of find out how we stand in this crowd right here. Um, we all know that the most innocent human beings upon the face of the earth are children, babies, young children, little children, toddlers, those of the young age. So, with that in mind, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you parents had to show those perfect little angels how to be bad? How many of you had to teach them how to lie? Somebody help me count hands real quick. How many of you had to teach your children how to steal, how to cheat, how to fight with their siblings? And there we prove our point, that human beings are not born good inside. We have to be taught to be good. We have a tendency to lean as we look towards our children and see how we never have to teach our children how to be bad. If you were to keep a, a child in a, a bubbled environment, they would find a way to be bad. We don't have to teach them how to lie. We don't have to teach them how to steal. Our precious little ones, they do not need to be taught. But they do have to learn how to be better liars, right? They have to be taught how to be better liars because little, you know kids are terrible liars. They're terrible. They'll be standing there with chocolate frosting all over their face and saying, no, I didn't have chocolate cake before dinner. So we learn as we get older to be better liars, to be better cheaters, to be better at sinning. But we don't have to be taught how to do those things because we have that nature within us. So this idea that people are, are basically good, they're just corrupted by bad company or, or bad policies. And you know, it is politically incorrect to suggest that there is a hell. Politically incorrect and that anyone might actually go there. Unfortunately, 
that thought has crept into the church also. You know, it's very unpopular, if not taboo, to preach about hell in today's church. One of the most preachers was asked why he doesn't preach on hell, and this was his response. People already feel guilty enough. They're not doing what they should. They're not raising their kids. We can all find reasons, so I want them to come to his church or his meetings and to be lifted up to say, you know what? I may not be perfect, but I'm moving forward. I'm doing better. And I think that motivates you to do better. I may not be perfect, but I'm moving forward. I'm doing better. I don't preach on hell because I don't want to make people feel bad. I don't want to tell them about the possibility of spending eternity in hell because I don't want to make them feel bad. I want them to make, make them feel good about themselves. I want them to feel good about any progress they might have. Well, there's nothing wrong with making them feel good about any process that, or progress that they may have. But they have to know about hell. They have to know about the consequences of not living a life that is, is pleasing to God, which is a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. But I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to make them mad. Isn't the idea and the thought of a hell is a better motivator than I'm doing better? 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. Just tell me what makes me feel good. I don't come to church to feel bad. Don't come in and step on my toes, preacher. Tell me how good I am. Tell me how good I'm doing. I don't need you to tell me about hell. I don't need you to tell me about sin. I want you to make me feel good about myself. You want to feel good about yourself? Get a Krispy Kreme donut. I know I had one the other morning, and I felt pretty good about myself at the time. Don't tell my wife, because I didn't bring her one either. Because she's on that WW thing. You know how many points? Oh, man. (laughs) But we are more concerned about political correctness than we are about biblical correctness. And hell has become a theological embarrassment to the church. So, in order to make that better, we have to either explain it away, we have to either water it down, or just skip the subject altogether. And yet, over... And over and over, the Bible talks about God's final judgment. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31 says, For he has set a day, 
when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Romans 2 verses 5 through 8 says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his, ju- when his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and there will be anger. And 2 Peter 2.9 says this, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on that day of judgment. So the Bible speaks very clearly that there is a day of judgment coming. There is a day that everything will be held in account to what you did in your life. And no one will be able to hide their sin. No one will be able to avoid their judgment. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 26 says this, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And then Mark 4.22 says, For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. So we hide nothing. Our sins are not hidden as we think they might be hidden. Everything will be brought out. The final judgment will be thorough, and it will be complete. Revelations 20, in verse 7 through 15 says, And when the thousand years had ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Judgment before the great white throne. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And this judgment will be impartial. 
Romans 2, 10 through 12 says this, But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality, God's judgment and the law. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And Galatians 2.6 says this, As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. This judgment will be just. Genesis 18.25 says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? He says, of course, the righteous will not receive the same judgment as the wicked. He is a just God. And the Bible also teaches that it will be the second person of the Trinity that will be the one doing the judging. John chapter 5 and verse 22 says this, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And John 5, 27 says, And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. And Acts 10.42 says this, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and judge of the dead. And this judgment will be based upon God's law. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. He says, you will be without excuse. You will be judged according to the law. And because their hearts are wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And because your heart is wicked, they are not only unable to keep God's law, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And then Romans 8.7 says, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, nor is it even able to do so. Because our heart is wicked, we are unable to follow the law of God. And they are not only unable to keep God's law, but they are willfully disobedient to it. They willingly disobey God's law. Psalm 78.10 says this, They did not keep the covenant of God, and they refused to walk in his law. 
And then in Romans 8, get myself caught up here. All right, Isaiah 30 and verse 9 says this, For these are rebellious people, they are deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instructions. And then the Bible teaches us that we have all, every single human being has broken the law of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. But God offers forgiveness to those who accept his son. As Lord. And as Savior. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Listen, believers will not face God's final wrath. Colossians 2.13 says this, When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave us of all of our sins. So we will not face the final wrath of God. And our names will be written down in the Lamb's book of life. Revelations 3, 5. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. But will acknowledge that name before my father and his Angels, And then again in Revelations 21, verse 24, the nations will walk by, the light, by its light. This is speaking of, of the new Jerusalem. The nations will walk by the light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this is the final judgment. The final judgment will end in eternal damnation for those who do not know Jesus Christ, for those who reject Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13, verse 40 and 40 through 42 says, Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen, and they should understand. And listen, there is a purpose in preaching about hell. 
excuse me, there's a purpose. The purpose is plain and simple. It's to bring a real fear into the hearts of sinful man. The purpose of preaching hell is to show people that there is a consequence for living a sinful life. For living a life without Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 5.20 says this, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. He says, listen, when you punish somebody or when you rebuke somebody, when you bring consequences of them, do it in front of the people so that they can see why you don't sin. It's because there's consequences for that. Acts 24, 25. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. And so as Paul began to preach to him about righteousness, a fear came upon him because of the judgment and the wrath. And then finally in Matthew, you chapter 10 verse 28 do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul so we preach hell and we speak of hell and we tell people of hell so that there is a, a fear, a right fear, a natural fear of what the consequences of living a life without Christ is. And I believe the Bible teaches us that there are degrees of hell. That there will be different levels of punishment according to the, suffer, according to the sin that somebody has done in their life. And I believe that the, the severest judgment will go to those who are false teachers. The severest, the darkest, the farthest away from the light will go to those who preach a false gospel. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 31. <clears throat> if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy the thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so the most severest, the deepest, darkest part of hell is reserved for those who distort and twist the word of God for their own gain. So even more severe than Murderers and rapists and child molesters. You know, if you think about it, all sins against the body are temporal. Even the worst of the worst is temporal. 
But any sin that is brought against the Spirit is eternal. Those who deceive and mislead and lead people down a path that takes them to hell, they are sinning against the Spirit, which is eternal. And we have to remember that God looks at things differently than we do. Oh, I believe that there's a deep, dark pit for child molesters. I believe that with all of my heart. For rapists, for murderers, I believe that. But the deepest and darkest are for those who deceive people into believing a lie and who lead these people on a path that go to hell. So very quickly, look at Jude 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these sayings, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. These men, now this refers to the apostate teachers that, that Jude described last time as hidden reefs, clouds without water, <coughs> doubly dead trees, and wild waves. So he's speaking about those false teachers, those false prophets, And then he mentions Enoch. Now, Enoch was a hero of the Jewish people. Genesis 5.24 says this, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. What that says is that Enoch didn't die. That Enoch was so faithful in, in his walk with God one day that God just took him. He did not experience death. There was only one other man in the Bible that we know that, that left this world without dying. And that was Elijah, who was taken out in a chariot. And so Enoch is held at a, at a very high uh, standard, and, 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 and the Jewish people loved him. And so Jude brings out this prophecy that Enoch had, had spoken Now, the question is, where in the Bible is this prophecy written? Well, the answer is nowhere. This prophecy is not written in the Bible that we have. It's actually written in a book called 1 Enoch. And it's in 1 Enoch 1.9, which actually says this, And behold, he cometh with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to destroy all the ungodly and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness which they have ungodly committed, and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And although this book was not inspired, this prophecy was. And we know that to be true because Jude used it In his writings, God, the Holy Spirit, inspired him to take this prophecy, which the Jews obviously would have known, 
And therefore, the prophecy itself is legitimate. It is true. And if you realize that this was actually the first prophecy that any man in the Bible spoke. Now, there was a prophecy before this prophecy of Enoch, but it was spoken by God. So Enoch's prophecy, would have, which would have either been carried, written, or, or orally by Noah during the flood, would have been the first prophecy spoken by man. I, I find that very interesting. And so Jude uses this. Now, we need to understand that, that the book of Enoch is not accepted, obviously, in the canon, uh, which, which shows us that the writings were not all inspired. There were some things that were correct. Um, as a matter of fact, it's not even uh, used in the apocryphal books that the Catholics have, the seven books that they have added into their Bible. It's not even a part of that. So there is no religion that accepts the book of Enoch as being inspired by God. But this prophecy was accepted as being inspired by God. Now, Jude is not the only one to use outside references, non-biblical references, uh, to prove a point. Paul did it also. He did it in Acts 7.28, 1 Corinthians 15.33, and Titus 1.2. He used outside references to prove his point, to bring the people along where they needed to be. And as much as I hate to do this to you, this was just the introduction to my message. And so next time we come together, I'll get into my message. (laughs) I'm not going to make you sit through all of this, but I felt it was important that we have this introduction, that we understand the importance of what Jude is saying about eternal judgment. It's important that we understand that, that there is a hell, it is hot, and that it is forever. And as I said, next time we come together, we're going to get into what Jude has to tell us. I heard one, and I'm going I'm to close with this. One false teacher said, he said, I don't preach hell because he wants to make his church more welcoming. He said, I don't preach hell because I want to make my church more welcoming. He said, if I preach hell, my numbers will go down. That's what he said. I want to make it comfortable for sinners to come to church. Well, my friends, I'm sorry. But we need to be a little uncomfortable times. I've learned over the year that it's during the times of the most uncomfortable parts of our life that we do the greatest growing. Would you stand to your feet? So it won't be next week that we we cover this part of Jude because we do have the Gideons coming in. And uh, he is going to give us a, it'll be Ted Cain that comes in and he's going to give us a presentation on a trip that he took. So uh, excited to hear about that. We love the Gideons. I do. I, I, I love them. Love them. I love what they do. And, uh, and I believe they have a heart for God. And so we will, as long as I'm pastor, we will always be a big supporter of the Gideons.
Father, we thank you for this word. God, and as uncomfortable as hell makes many of us, Father, we also understand that it is an important doctrine. It's an important teaching, God. It's important that we understand, God, that it puts a, a urgency, Father, in our, our life towards those who, who have not accepted you as Lord and Savior. God, I have a child. God, I don't want to see go to hell. God, I have family that I don't want to see spend eternity away from you. I have co-workers. I have friends. And God, eternity is a long time. And God, for those of us that have accepted you, for those of us, God, who have had our names written into the Lamb's Book of Life, God, that doesn't give us a license to, to kick it into cruise control, God, and just to cruise into eternity. God, we have got to bring everyone with us that we can, everyone that is willing to hear your message. They need to understand that hell is real. It doesn't mean we, every time we see them, we're telling them they're going to hell, but God, they need to know. They need to know that we have two doors to choose from. One is wide. And we'll take anybody. The other is narrow and requires a relationship to pass through. And God, I know we all have family. I know we all have friends. We all have co-workers, God. I pray you put a fire under our feet, God, to reach out to those. And now, Father, as we conclude this service, go with us as we leave this house. Keep us safe as we travel home. And God, I pray that our cup overflows with the blessings of your spirit in our life. And we ask all these things in Jesus' very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.